If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, Matthew 21, as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew, and it just keeps getting better and better and better every week, and today we get a story, and Jesus was a master teacher and a master storyteller, and we get to look at the first of three straight parables or stories that he's going to tell uh, as we are in the last week of his life, and today we get to look at a story of that's not very familiar to us. It wasn't familiar to me. I don't even know that I'd really... I studied it before in my life as we come to these verses here, but it's a story of two sons. Jesus is telling the story of father, two sons, and in telling the story of two sons, he gives us two responses to Jesus, two responses of people to him, to his preaching, to, to who he is. And in, in showing us these two sons and their two responses, it lays out before us, how have you responded to Jesus? And I want to ask that question today, and I want you to, to answer it. I want you to think about it. I want you to, as we read it and as we, as we go through it today, I want you to think about how have I responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want that to be a finger, not, not really in the face of you guys or in the face of people online, but I want you to think about it. I, I want that to be in your mind and on your heart as we're studying this. How have I responded to Jesus? And that's the title of the sermon today. How have you responded to Jesus? So let's read this together. I'm going to read verses 28 through 32. Let's stand together. Verses 28 to 32. And we stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'm just going to read these uh, five verses. And we'll tell this story and then do our best to explain what it means. And maybe we can look at our own lives and say, how have I responded to Jesus Christ? So let's look at this. Starting in verse 28 of Matthew 21. And the Word of God says, and I, I'm going to say this tonight, but the word of, this is the Word of God. Uh, this, this is the, the best part of the sermon, me reading these verses, because it is without error. It is, it is perfect. Uh, the sermon later will be with a lot of error. I mean, hopefully not doctrinal error, but it will be, I'll mess up here and I'll mess up there. But this reading, that's why we stand, is the very word of our God. Amen. Starting in verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and he said, I will not. But afterward he repented and he went. And he, and he came to the second and he said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And he went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? And they say unto him, The first. And Jesus says, saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you do. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when you had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. Short little story, 
with a huge meaning for all of us here today. So let's pray together and we'll study these verses. Father, we thank you for your word. And this is your word, God. And it's time for us to open our ears and to hear what it says. I believe that when your word is rightly read, rightly explained, and rightly applied, that you speak. And God, that's what we need here today. More than anything else in this world, we need to hear from God. So I pray that during this time, and God, it's going to be 45, 50, 55 minutes, that we can say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Our ears are open. We want to hear from God today. So God, help us to do that. Help me to teach these things. I, I, I realize today, maybe more than ever, the weightiness of what it is I do when I stand up here. And I need your help now more than ever. So help me to teach these things and help us to hear these things and help us, God, to open our ears, our eyes, and our heart that we may see how have we responded to your son. So help us today and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. There's a quote by Chuck Swindoll and it says this, and maybe you've heard it. I think it's a great quote. I think it's something you should probably write down. I, th I think it's a, a good life quote, not just a good uh, spiritual quote. But Chuck Swindoll said this, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to what happens to you. I think that's a great quote because we have thousands of opportunities every single day to respond to things in different ways. So it's, it is 10% what happens and 90% what how we respond to what happens. I mean, this morning, maybe some of you had an alarm clock go off and it sits there and it blares, and you have an opportunity to respond. And you could respond with, I'm going to get up and get ready and go to church. Or you could respond with, turn that thing off, I'm going back to sleep. I'm going to sleep in today. Or you do like most of us do and you hit snooze and to get an extra 10 minutes. 10 minutes later, it hits again. And so it's 10% it's, uh, what happens and 90% how you respond to what happens. And then you go throughout your day and you have conversations and people will say things to you and you get the opportunity to, to respond to what they say or to a text message. Do you want to respond to this message? And, and throughout our lives, whether it's in our work, with our, with our spouse, with our kids, I mean, whatever it is, you've got an opportunity to respond to what happens to you. And Chuck Swindoll, and I think it's a great quote, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. That's Chuck Swindoll. But let me give you a quote, not by Chuck Swindoll, but an even better preacher than Chuck Swindoll. His name is Josh Tompkins. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you guys wasn't ready for that one, were you? So Chuck Swindoll says life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. I say... Eternal life is 100% how you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and not just eternal life, I think life is 100% how you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he has given every single one of us a chance. I believe he's given every single one of us an opportunity. I believe that every man, woman, and child in the world is at a crossroads, and you've got to figure out, how am I going to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I going to say no? Am I going to say yes? Am I going to say maybe? Let's wait for later. And so you've got an opportunity. You've got a chance. This is, this is what's laid in front of you. Will you believe in Jesus? Will you turn to him? Will you ask him to forgive you of your sins and, and to give you eternal life? Or will you refuse 100% of eternal life is based on how you respond to Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's a question that we all must answer. That's a question Jesus wants these people to answer. How have they responded to Jesus? And in getting to that, it's not just that he says, how have you responded to me? Jesus is the master teacher, and as the master teacher, he doesn't just ask the question directly, he tells them a story, because we all love a good story, don't we? I mean, you, you, you in, in a sermon, if you're sitting there preaching and it's going line by line, line by line, and, and, and truth by truth, and, and we're sitting there going through a passage, everybody's like, okay, okay, okay. And then you say, let me tell you a story. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, okay, he's telling us a story now. And they go on the edges of their seat, and, and they want to see how that story shows them great spiritual truth. So Jesus wanting to teach, and it is a great spiritual truth, a great spiritual question. How have you responded to Jesus? I don't think there's any more important question in life than that. So Jesus doesn't ask them directly. He asks them through a story, through a, a parable, that he gets these religious authorities, these scribes and these Pharisees together, and if he'd asked them directly, it maybe have turned into a fight. But instead of asking them directly, he tells them a story, a familiar truth, 
a familiar story that tells a great deep truth. So he tells this story, he draws them in, it makes them listen, it, it helps them understand. It shows them what the response to Jesus really is. This story is remarkable in showing us how we've responded to Jesus. Because I think if I ask you all here today how you responded to Jesus, every one of you would say, every one of you, I would think, in church today, would say I've responded positively. I've said yes to Jesus. I've believed in Jesus. But as we tell this story, we get deeper into it and see if we really have responded right. So I want to look at this today. I want, to, I want to ask them how they've responded. I want to ask you how you've responded. Because again, I think eternal life is 100% how you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's ask that question. Let's think about it. Let's, let's ponder it. Let's see, how have I really responded to Jesus? And I've broken these, this story down into three points to, to answer that question. How have you responded to Jesus? And I want to start with number one. The surprising story that Jesus tells. The surprising story that Jesus tells. Because as he starts, and let's just, let's just look at the story. I, I want to I tell you the story the way he told the story. And, and it's, it's a surprising story. Jesus' stories always have a, a twist at the end. And there's a twist here. It's surprising what happens in this story. I mean, as he's telling this to these scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day, and they're sitting there trying to fight him. They're, they're confronting him. But as he tells this story, they're going to sit there and they're going to hear it and they're going to do, oh, we may not. I mean, we're, we're not living in that time. But they're going to say, wow, I can't believe that. So it's a surprising story he tells. Look here, verse 28. He says, but what, what think you? What's your verdict on this? <laughs> I don't know what you guys think about this. And then he says, a certain man had two sons. So he starts with a certain man. That's a, that's a, a father who had two sons. I, I got two sons and, and I kind of put myself into this story. I'm a certain man. I have two sons. So we have this father here and the father looks at his two boys and he tells his two boys. And then this is, this isn't a, will you guys go to the vineyard and work today? This is a, you go and you work in the vineyard today. I mean, there's a difference. My boys know the difference. If I look at my boys and I say, will you please get off the video game and, and take the trash out today? The answer is going to be, not right now. If I look at them and I say, boys, Isaiah, Christian, I'm not asking them to work in my vineyard. I'm asking them to take the trash out. <laughs> Go take the trash out. There's a difference there. So the father here, with all authority, looks at his boys and says, Son number one, go work in the vineyard. Son number two, you're commanded to go work in the vineyard. He's not asking, he's telling them, go to work. That's the authority of the father. Nobody denies that that father has the authority to tell his boys what to do. He's the head of the house. He commands, they obey. That's the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Obey your father and mother. So we, we know this. The fundamental bedrock principle of Jewish society and really any society is that the father has authority in the home. They knew it. We know it. The father has that right. So he tells them what to do. And then the sons, let's see how they respond. And again, I put myself in this. I got two boys. He had two boys. The father looks at one and says, Go. The father looks at the other one and says, go. So let's see how the boys respond. A certain man had two sons. He came to the first son. And I want to call this son the rebellious son. He's the mean boy. He didn't want to work. Watch what it says. Father says, go. Son says, no. That's, that's as simple as that. I mean, the son is honest. He's open. He didn't, he didn't say, ah, I might do it later, dad. He said, no, I got better things to do. I, I want to sit here and play Fortnite. I don't want to, I want to go work in the vineyard today. I mean, who wants to go outside? <laughs> I want to stay inside. I want to watch TV. He says, no, I'm not going. Honest, rebellious, dangerous. You say, how's that dangerous? In these days, in our day, kids are rebellious and we laugh about it. In their day, it was dangerous for a kid to rebel. Old Testament had it that it had the very strictest of punishment for any child that disobeyed their parents. I mean, there was, you could stone a kid for not obeying their parents. You think, I'm strict, boys. I, go back to the Old Testament. It, it was meant to be a, if you, if, if you disobey, here's what's going to happen to you. So this is dangerous. So wow, I mean, first, first son doesn't seem like the favorite son, does it? He says no. Second son, verse 30. 
So the first son's rebellious. The second son is respectful. You see this? Look, he came to the second and said, likewise. So he looks at him and says, go work in the vineyard. And the second son answered and said, I go. And not just I go, but look at the next word. I go, sir. That's why I said he's a respectful son. I love it when my boys look at me and say, yes, sir. I like that. Sometimes they won't, and I'll say, huh? I'll say, you know, I'll say, I'll ask them a question, they'll say, yeah. <laughs> I'll say, what? Yes. What? Yes, sir. <laughs> you know? The second son said, yes, sir. I'll go. That's a respectful son. Without hesitation, obedient. I mean, that, 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 that second son is a whole lot better than the first son. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if, you, if you're picking sons at this point, and you're saying, which one is the better of the two sons? You're going to say the one who said, yes, I'll go, versus the one who said, no. I'm sure the father looked at the first son and said, why can't you be more like that guy? He's the better of the two boys. He'll get the extra chicken nuggets at dinner. So the answer shows here, and I want you to see this. The answer shows two boys, two different responses to the father. In that moment, one is obedient and one is disobedient. But that wasn't their final answer. Here comes the surprise. Here comes the twist to the story. One said, no, I won't go. And one said, yes, I will go. And then everything takes a turn after that. Look what happens with the first son. And just, just stay in the story. I, I want you to see that. The, the, the first son said, no, I'm, I'm not going to go. No. And afterward it said, he changed his mind. That's what the word repent means. He changed his mind. He started feeling bad about it. He started feeling remorseful. He said, you know what? I shouldn't be like that with my dad. I, I need to obey my dad. So he went from no, I won't go to yes, I will. And that, that's, that's where repentance is. And I'm over here on one end and I, I'm doing something I shouldn't do. And I changed my mind, which changed my actions. And now I'm going to go to the vineyard and do what my dad said. Amen. That's repentance. So we went from a rebellious son to a repentant son. So now everything's changed. There's a, there's a twist there. He changed his mind about it, which changed his actions about it. He is a repentant son. Amen. And then the second son, watch this. He answered and said, I go, sir. But then he didn't go. So he goes from being a respectful son to being a rejecting son. He said yes and walked away and done no. His mouth said yes and his actions said no. You, you with me there? Second son, mouth said yes, actions said no. First son, mouth said no, actions said yes. There's a twist there. And I think there's lessons for us here before we go any further. There's two lessons that I, that I learned that I think you need to learn in how we respond to Jesus. Number one lesson, and these are very important. Number one. It's not your initial response to Jesus that matters. That is deep. It's not your initial, first response to Jesus that matters. Many, and, I, and you could go two ways with this, many start out great, and they make great professions, and they, they say great things, and, and, and they'll, they'll stand up in front of a church, they'll get baptized, they'll say, I believe in Jesus, and I'll, I'll follow Him all the way. And they make big, bold, yes statements to Jesus. And then, a month later, six months later, a year later, Five years later, their actions don't say yes at all. They've said yes and started out great. Initial response was great. But the rest of their life and their actions were not. The initial response isn't what matters. You could go the other way with it. Many start out bad. And their initial response to hearing about Jesus and the gospel is, no, I will not turn to Jesus. I, I will not follow Him. And you see people in churches like that all the time. And I, I share the gospel out in, out in Big Stone and, and around with people all the time. Will you believe in Jesus? No. <laughs> and it's no, and it's no, and it's no. And that's their initial response. Their first response to Jesus is no. It's rebellious. It's I will not. But then later on, they make a response to Jesus that says yes. 
And they end up being the faithful ones that live for Jesus. It's not your initial response that matters. Point number two. This is, this is, this is, I think people need to understand this in their response to Jesus. The first one is your, it's not the initial response that matters. And the second one is, it's not what we say that matters. It's not our initial response that matters. And most people think it is. You'll ask people, are you saved? Yes, I made an initial response in Bible school. I made an initial response somewhere in the past. And that was my initial response. Well, how's your life now? I made a yes then. I'm living no. How many people do you know like that? Maybe some people in here, you, you said yes and you're living no. It's not your initial response that matters. And it's not your words that matter. You, said, you see that he said yes and didn't do it. We love, we love in this church people who make professions of faith. I love it when people stand up here and, and, and make a profession of faith that I've, I've put my, my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love baptism here when people go into the water and they say, I've died to myself and I'm living to Christ. Praise God. We love that. But be careful that those bold professions in church are nothing more than just words. Because it happens all across the world. When people make bold professions of faith in Jesus. And it's nothing but the words they said. And there's no actions to it all. Amen. Actions speak louder than words. Right. We need a little less talk. And a lot more action. We have a big talk in Christianity today. We have a big talk in churches today. We have a big talk in the Bible Belt today. Everybody speaks a good game and they say yes to Jesus and they're bold and they, 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 live, they, they don't live it. And Jesus here is saying it's not about your words. Because words can be deceiving. Listen to this. James 1.22 But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. 1 John 3 says this, Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And here's how we know that we are of the truth and how we shall assure our hearts before Him, not that we say it, but that we do it. So two big points for us here today, and just the start of this, is that it's not the initial response that matters. And it's not your words that matter. It's your deeds that matter. Amen. It's how you live that matters. Your bold profession ought to result in a bold way of life. So that's the surprising story. Let's move to the simple question that Jesus asks. And this is a quick point here, and it won't take me just a few minutes to get through this one, because now he's, he's told the story, and, and, and there's some things there that we can learn, but then in verse 31, he's, he's going to put it before them, just like he did in verse 28 when he said, but what think ye? So he's asking them, what do you think? What's your verdict on this? So he's asking them the simple question. We, we go from the surprising story that he tells to the simple question that he asks. He says in verse 31, so which one of them, which one of the two, did the will of his father? Jesus is asking this question. A, a good teacher asks questions. That's a, that's a, he's a master teacher. He's a, the greatest teacher in the history of the world. And he spent his whole ministry asking questions. Not out of curiosity, not out of confusion, but to make us think and to open our eyes to the truth. So he doesn't just tell the story. That, a master teacher is a master storyteller. It also is a master at getting deep into the heart of the individuals who are listening. So he asked this question. He loved asking questions. He gave it over to them. I'm not going to tell you. I want you to think about it. I want you to respond. So he asked them this question. I'm going to ask you guys this. Which one of these two did the will of his father? And he gives them two choices. <laughs> Don't you love that? I said that last week. He gave him two choices last week. Is John the Baptist from God or is he from man? Multiple choice. There it is. And they went with the, we don't know. They went with C. So he gives them two choices here. 
Is it the first son? Did he do the will of the father? The one who said no, but then did it? Or is it the second son who said yes, but didn't do it? There's your two choices. First son, second son. Which one did the will of his father? Which one done what was right? There's your question. One or the other. Which one was the obedient son? I ask you that question today. And I think it's easy. There's no denying which one did it, right? One said it and didn't do it. One, one didn't say it and did it. Which one did it? The one that did it. I mean, it's an easy question. I mean, the, these, these scribes and these Pharisees, they didn't have to huddle up on this one. They're sitting there thinking, this is an easy one. Uh, we know which one did it. The one who did it. <laughs> That's easy. It's a clear answer. We all know. It's obvious. Only one was obedient. Only one was disobedient. One was all talk. The other one was all action. So this is an easy answer. But let me ask you this. I mean, I'm, making, I'm trying to make it as simple as, as I can make it because we make it so complicated. Which one is obedient? Let me ask you this. If you see two Christians who claim to be Christians and you have one who says it and doesn't live it and you have one who says it and lives it, which one is obedient to God? Amen. That's easy. Why do we make it so hard? You know what we do there? You'll have people today that says, here's one who says he's a Christian, but he doesn't act like it. Here's one who says it and acts like it. Which one is the real deal? And we in Christianity today and preachers like to look at that and say, I don't know. It ain't my place to judge. It, it, I, 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 I don't know. And if you do that, if you stand up and you say, the obvious, this one isn't, and this one is, you'll have a multitude out there that'll say, judgmental church, thou shalt not judge. You're making a verdict. You're judging them by their fruit. Who told you you could do that? What Jesus said, <laughs> you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them not by what they say, but by how they live. You say, Josh, you're being so judgmental. I'm just asking a question. <laughs> it's a good teacher asks a question. You tell me. I didn't say which one, did I? You tell me. See, Jesus puts them on the spot. Don't you like that? I made you guys be judgmental and you didn't even know it. You bunch of judgmental people. Thou shalt not judge. I didn't do it. You did it. People sitting at home sitting there saying, yeah, 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 the one who does, the one who does it is, is the real one. And then I tell oh, no, I didn't mean to judge nobody. It's an obvious answer. Then why are we making it so hard? Why do we have to say, I don't know? When there's a whole lot of people out there who say it, Talk a big game. With their lives don't look anything like it. There's a lot of people who say Jesus and live like the devil. There's a lot of people who talk about heaven they live like hell. There's a lot of people who show up in churches on Sunday and live like hell the rest of the week. You tell me whether of them twain do the will of the Father. King James, whether of the twain. Josh, which one of the two? You tell me. The one who says it and doesn't do it or the one who does it? I don't know why we have such a hard time with this. Amen. Oh, Josh, you're just being judgmental. Watch how the Jewish leaders answer. They don't have a hard time with it. So he said, which one of the two did the will of his father? And they say unto him, well, <laughs> we got this one, I think with a smile. Again, they didn't have to huddle. The last one they huddled up. What do you think we should say? <laughs> That's a hard question. We don't know. You know let's just say we don't know. <laughs> but here, no huddle. Smile on their face. Smug. We know this one. I got this. 
Like on Jeopardy, you know, you sit there and watch the, the whole 30 minute show and there's one that pops up there. Like, I know that one. Sports. They're sitting there and says, I know this one. That's easy. You ask which one did it? The one that did it. That's easy. We got this one. Smile on their face. Yes, we passed the test. The first son, that's what they say. We know. The first one. The one that started bad but ended well. The first one was the obedient son. He did the will of the father. So they say it's the first one. It's the repentant son. And that's the right answer. But Jesus now has them exactly where he wants them. He didn't condemn them. They just condemned themselves with that answer. Master teacher. Just like I just did to you. Just following Jesus' example. I sit there and I said, which one? And you made the decision. And you gave the verdict. And now Jesus has asked them. And he's not the one that's being judgmental, you know. They're judging for themselves. And now he's going to show them in the, in the next point, as he explains what's going on, he's going to explain to them that you are the second son. You're the one who says it, but don't do it. He's put them on the spot. He, he's, he's, made them, <laughs> he's made them hit themselves. We used to do that when we was kids. Used to get my sister's hands and hold her down and say, Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> and that's what he's doing here. I ain't doing it. Mom and dad say, Stop. I'm not the one doing it. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> Both my sisters are here. Jesus is saying, You've just condemned yourself, guys. And then he moves to the explanation. Let him explain it here. So we've seen the surprising story that he tells and the simple question that he asks. And we move here to the last point, the spiritual explanation that he gives. Because now he's going to explain everything. And I love how he, how he does this at the end. He says, verily I say unto you. <laughs> and what that is, is this is very important. I've told you that over and over and over. And as, as we go through the gospel, I love going line by line by line. Everything Jesus says is very important. And I'll even go further than that. Everything the Bible says is very important. Not just the red words, but the black words. They're all very important. But there are some words that are even more important than other words. And when Jesus says, verily, verily, that's as very important as it gets. So here is, verily, I say unto you. So this is a, an important statement that he's about to make. He's going to give an explanation that we all need to hear. Verily. And every time I say that, I, I think verily, very. I don't know what other versions say. Does the King James say verily? Who knows what the other ones say? But it says, verily, pay attention to this. It's very important. And then he says something, again, shocking. Watch this. That publicans, tax collectors, and harlots, prostitutes, go into heaven before you guys do. You say, what in the world is this? Tax collectors and harlots? What's he saying that for? Where did that come from? Tax collectors and harlots are the worst of the worst in society. You can't get any lower than these two groups. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, tax collector. That's why, I, that's why we preached that story. I wanted you to see that he was despicable. The worst of the worst. And then you had prostitutes. I mean, the, the prostitutes were vile. They were socially unacceptable. They, they were offensive. People would say tax collectors and prostitutes, and they'd say they are unsavable, irredeemable. They belong in the gutter. Open rejectors of God. And Jesus says, they get in before you do? What does he mean by that? Get this. The publicans and the harlots are the first son. They are, follow me on this. This is, this is amazing. The publicans and the harlots are the first son. They were, were, Openly rebellious to God. Get this. God the Father said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. If you didn't know that. Our society treats it like one of the Ten Suggestions. It's a command. God in His commandments didn't look and say, 
you might not want to commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's what it says. It's a command. We need to treat it like a command. So he says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And the harlot, the prostitute, looked at the father and said, no, I will. Open rebellion. And then you have the tax collector, the publican, who God said, God the Father said, thou shalt not steal. And that's what a tax collector was. And you ought to say amen there. Tax collectors take our money. This was even worse. Taking from everybody more than they should take. Thou shalt not steal. And the tax collector looked at the Father and said, no, I'm going to steal. They were openly rebellious, defiant, committing crimes against God, the Father who has all authority. And then they heard John's message. And they heard Jesus' message. And what was John's message when he came preaching? Matthew 3, 2, John said, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came just a chapter later in Matthew 4, after he was baptized and after he was tempted in the wilderness, and the very first sermon he preached, and the first word that he said in the first sermon that he ever preached was, Repent. Change your mind about your sins that will result in a change of action and a change of direction and come follow me. That's, it. That's, that's the message. And these tax collectors and these harlots, these prostitutes, these vile and despicable people heard the message of repentance and they responded by repenting. Amen. Amazing. That a change of mind. My prostitution is a sin. Mind change. I'm going to quit that and follow Jesus. Repentance. The tax collector, Zacchaeus, Matthew, who wrote this gospel, stealing is a sin. Change of mind. I'm going to quit that and follow Jesus. I'm repenting. Harlots, harlots no more. Tax collectors, tax collectors no more. Zacchaeus said, whatever I have stolen, I'll give back fourfold. You know what that is? Repentance. Let him who steals, steal no more. Let him who prostitutes, prostitute no more. That's repentance. And they, it says, get into the kingdom. You see that? The harlots, worst of the worst, the publicans get in before the religious elite. It says that they get into the kingdom. I love, and you should too, I love how God treats repenting sinners. Are you with me on this? I love how God receives repenting sinners. Luke 15, you had a son, story of two sons. One son went away in rebellion. And the father waited. And when the son decided, when he changed his mind about what he was doing, he changed his actions and he came running home to the father. In his mind, he said, I've got a father at home who cares about me. And he turned his little legs around and he walked out of the pigsty and he went home filthy and poor and despicable. And the father was waiting with arms wide open. For the harlot, for the prostitute, the tax collector, whoever and whatever you've done, the Father is willing to receive repentant sinners. That's a great truth. The Father waiting, waiting and receiving. I don't care how dirty you are. I don't care what you've done and where you've been. You've turned from it and now turn to me. I love how He treats repentant sinners. Our sins, they are many. But our Father's grace is more. Willing to receive. He's more willing to receive repentant sinners than even we are to repent of our sin. He stands waiting. 
It's a comforting story for repentant sinners. And it shows the right response to Jesus. I would write this down. I've not given to these to you yet. I'm preaching a little bit today. Amen. The right response to Jesus is repentance. That's what this story teaches. And we have taken repentance off the table in churches today. We live in an unrepentant church age. We don't preach it. People don't want to do it. We just leave them be. Jesus receives repentant sinners. So that's the first son, the repenting son. And then he goes on to explain the rejecting son. Watch this. It says in verse 32, For John came unto you, and I would underline you. Who's the you there? He's pointing his finger at the religious elite, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these, all these religious elite people sitting there. He's saying, John came to you. I like that. He says, John came unto you, and he was preaching the way of righteousness, which goes back to last week's sermon where Jesus, where they asked, well, who did John come from? Jesus says right here, he came the right way. He came to you, religious, religious leaders. And who were they? They were very religious. They claimed to obey the law, dotting every I and crossing every T, every jot and every tittle. They said yes to God. Openly, in front of everybody, standing in the temple uh, square, where everybody could see them. They wore fancy hats and, and fancy clothes. And, and the, you got the, the parable of the Pharisee and the, and the publican and the, and the Pharisee standing up in front of everybody saying, Thank God I'm not like that tax collector. I tithe and I pray and I go to the temple and he's speaking a big, big game. Man, he looked good doing it. They liked to pray in the in the corners where everybody could see them, and then in the street, and they'd walk around with their clothes on, saying and looking like a big old yes to God. These guys were, were, were yes men. They thought they were right and they thought they were great. And there's so many like that in churches today. That because they're here, <laughs> and because they say and they pray, they think they're right. And they heard, watch this. They heard the message of John. What was John's message again? Repent. They heard, I mean, that John came and preaching repentance and that they, he was baptizing Jesus and they were standing around the water and John's looking at him saying, you coming down next? Baptized uh, in repentance here? You got something you got to change? You got to, you got to, you got to change your mind. You got to change your ways. You got to be saved. And they sit up there like this. We ain't got nothing to change. Then Jesus comes and what does he preach? Anybody remember that sermon? First sermon, Matthew 4, 17. He was baptized. He was tempted. First sermon, first word was repent. He went around preaching repentance. That's a big word. Repentance means change your mind, which results in a change of ways. Follow Jesus. Repent and follow me. He looked at Peter the fisherman and said, repent and follow me. Matthew the tax collector, repent and follow me. You and me, repent and follow Jesus. Religious elites, repent and follow me. He preached it to them. And they said no. It says, watch this, and you believed him not. <laughs> you see that? Verse 32, John came to you, preaching to you the way of righteousness. You're going the wrong way, go the right way. That's repentance. And you didn't believe him. But the publicans and the harlots did. And when they believed him, you saw it. Get this, they said no to the message. <laughs> I got time. They said no to the message. And then they said no to the miracle. You say, what's the miracle? It says they saw that when the harlots and the publicans believed, and ye, when you had seen it, you saw it. What's it? The transformation. <laughs> you with me? The it is the transformation. You heard the message of repentance and then you saw the harlots and the tax collectors repenting of their sin, 
A transformation that took place where they were no longer harlots. And when Jesus caught the woman, or was with the woman and caught in adultery, and they wanted to bring her to Jesus, and they wanted him to stone her. And Jesus said, You without sin cast the first stone. And then when they all run away, (laughs) Jesus looked at her and said, Go and sin no more. You know what that is? Don't commit adultery anymore. Repent. So here they are. They, and you know what she did? She got up and repented. So the harlots was not harlots anymore. And the tax collectors were not tax collectors anymore. And all these terrible drunkards, were, they weren't drunkards anymore. So all these miracles are taking place where they see these people and what they used to be and what they are now. So you heard the message. You saw the miracle. And now you're looking at it and saying no to both. You're saying no. And it says they believed not. They repented not. They didn't repent of their sin and and embrace Christ. Get this, they were so good in their own mind that they thought they didn't have anything to repent of. (laughs) People like that in churches all across America. So good in their own mind that they think they ain't got nothing to repent of. All those harlots do. Those homosexuals do. Those Democrats do. (laughs) All of them need to change. I'm too good. I don't have anything to change. They were blinded by their own hypocrisy. Good news isn't good news to someone who thinks they're good. The gospel isn't good news to people who think they're already good. The gospel's good news to people who think they're bad. Grace isn't amazing to someone who thinks they're amazing. And it says here that they were left out. Back up to verse 31, it says the harlots and the publicans get into heaven before you will. That's not that the the, the publicans and the harlots have a better seat in heaven. That's, they're getting in and you're not. You're left out. Wow. Left out. Is that not surprising? The ones you thought were in is out. That's the first son, the one who said yes. Or the second son. And the ones you thought no way they'd ever get into heaven. The ones he said was in. Let me give you this. If you don't repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ, you will not go to heaven. And that shouldn't be controversial. That's Christianity 101. If you don't repent of your sin and follow Christ, you will go to hell. That's just the bottom line. That's not popular to say, but that's the truth of the Bible. They didn't repent. They didn't believe in Christ. And I don't care how religious you think you are. If you don't repent and believe in Christ, you're not going to go to heaven. So they were left out. And that shows the wrong response to Jesus. I've given you the right one, which is repentance. And the wrong one is a refusal to repent. There's your two responses and your two sons. And looking at your own life, where do you see it? The repenting son or the refusing son? There's only two responses. And this is everywhere. It might even be here today. It's a, and I get this all the time. I believe in God. Talk. I got baptized. Talk. I go to church. Talk. I tell people I'm a Christian when they ask. Talk. On and on and on. Talk, 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 talk. Saying all the right things. Saying a big yes to the world. An initial response. A Bible school response. Maybe even a a revival response. When you said yes to Christ a long time ago. But your life says a big no. 
And there's absolutely no difference whatsoever in your life. How many people do you know like that? No difference, no change, no miracle that took place, no repentance. So ask yourselves this, if that's you, which son does the will of the father? Still the same life, still the same sin, still the same disobedience. We've got a generation of sayers and not doers. We've got a church culture where we've created sayers and not doers. There could be people here, and I'm closing, that might be the second son. That you don't have true faith in Christ. Faith always leads to repentance. True faith always leads to repentance. Belief always leads to behavior. Always. Talk must always lead to action. I'm going to turn those around. Faith without any repentance. Belief without behavior. And talk without action is the very definition of a hypocrite. And hypocrisy is a soul-damning sin. Because it takes a miraculous, eye-opening experience for people to see how deep they are in hypocrisy. Openly rebellious people are easier to reach with the gospel than religious hypocrites. It takes a story like this for them to say, Wow, I said yes, but I'm living no. So ask yourselves which son you are. And I'm going to go back to the two main teaching points of this passage. It's not the initial response that matters. If you're here today, or online today, and you've been saying no to Christ for years, you've been hearing the gospel, and you've been saying no. You've heard the preacher preach the gospel. Invitation, you say no. You've had parents look at you and say, you need to be saved. No. And you've been openly rebellious. You've been sinful. You've lived like hell. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're sitting there today and you know you're a sinner. I want to tell you today that there's hope for you. This passage gives us hope for all the hard cases. And if you're here today and you're a sinner and you say, I'm too sinful... I'm too far gone. I I can't, no way he can save me. Understand this. God stands with open arms, ready and willing to receive repentant sinners. And that is the most comforting news that any sinner could ever hear. And that's what we need to tell the world. We don't need, we, we can tell them they're sinners we can tell them that their sin is wrong, that adultery is wrong, that, that stealing is wrong, that, that all, the, all the Ten Commandments that you want to go through is wrong. But at the end of all that, we need to say God stands willing and ready to receive any repentant sinner. But you have to. And I, I, want, I pray this sermon would do this, that there'd be people that are lost and they know it, sitting in the pews or watching online, and that through the power of God's Word and through His Spirit, that He would give them a change of mind. And they'd say, you know what? I've been going the wrong way this whole time. I've been rebellious. I've been saying no to Jesus. I, I, I've been going the wrong way. And I need to change that. And I need to turn from my sin and embrace by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that's you today. Repent. Be like that prodigal son and come running to Christ and find life and forgiveness. Take it from a repentant sinner. This guy right here. Take it from me. If you, if you don't believe anything else, take it from this guy. Big old repentant sinner.
that Christ will receive you. Amen. He'll receive me. He'll receive you. That Christ will forgive you and wipe away every bit of the sin. All the adultery, all the, all the stealing, all the, all the dishonoring, all the taking of His name in vain. All, all the sin that you've committed. Though, though your sins are many, I'll tell you this. Take it from me. His mercy is more. And I'm sure we got other repentant sinners in here today. They'll say the same thing. I was in my sin. He showed it to me. I changed my mind. I followed Jesus. And He forgave me and welcomed me with open arms. That's, if that's you today, there's hope for you if you'll repent and turn to Jesus. And He'll change you. Second one, and I'll close with this. I said it's not the initial response that matters. Please know this, it's not your words that matter. You may say yes. You may have said yes years ago. But if your life doesn't say yes, you're not saved. Just, you're not doing the will of the Father. I mean, I, if your life doesn't match what you're saying, you need to say yes to Christ today. If you look at your life and say, my life doesn't match. Today, get that right. I'm going to read you a passage and I'm going to close. If you want to turn there with me, you can, just so you'll know that I'm not making things up. Matthew chapter 7, just a few pages over. We preached it about two years ago. Matthew 7, verse 21. This isn't something new. I'll start in verse 16 just because I want, I want to. You can't stop me. He says, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth, not fruit, forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you'll know them. And here's where I wanted to stop or start. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Which one does the will of my Father? It's, it's the same thing, is it not? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. Have we not wore the hats and the clothes? Have we not prayed the prayers and done all the, you know, all, all the outer things? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Probably the most shocking thing that Jesus ever said. Same principle. It's not what you say that matters. So I urge you today, I want you to say yes to Jesus. As we pray today, I want everybody in this room to say that. I really do. And, and I, I've prayed it this week. I mean, I, I look at my own life and say, hey, there's, there's some inconsistencies there, man. Yes to Jesus, yes. And, and I, I want to keep saying yes. I want to keep living for Jesus. I want to keep seeing my sin and confessing it and, and repenting of it. Repentance isn't a, a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's a life of repentance. So yes to Jesus today. Everybody in here. I mean, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you responded. But I'll tell you this, how you respond today matters. So as we pray, I want you to say, as I'm praying, yes, Jesus. And not just yes with my words. Yes, please, yes with my life. Please. That's for everybody. I want everybody to do it. Yes, Jesus, today. Let's pray. Father, around the room today, I hope and I pray by the power of your spirit and the power of your word that accomplishes everything that you set it out to do, that there would be people who's paid enough attention and who cares enough about their souls 
to sit in the pews and say yes to you today, right now. They can sit there and say, oh, I said it years ago. No, right now, today, I'm living for Jesus. Maybe across the room today, maybe across the airwaves, there could be a handful of people watching us online. May they in their living room say yes to Jesus. May our kids here today say yes to Jesus. It's the only right response to Jesus. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for little parables that I had never studied before, but I got a lot out of. And I pray, God, that you'll accomplish, you use that word to change hearts and to change lives. To take sinners openly and defiant and make them repentant sinners. To take religious hypocrites and to show them their way. And that they would repent. And that we walk out of here today different than when we walked in. So across this room today, I pray there's yes to Jesus. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.